So there you go. Welcome. We are so glad that you guys are here with us this morning because we are kicking off a new series this morning called Rise Above It, and we are so excited about this series. And the reason we're excited about this series is because what we all know, what you guys know, what I know, is what we do just consistently over time, what we do consistently over time will eventually determine who we become. The things that we just do habitually over time, the attitudes that we have, the choices that we make, the ways that we respond to situations, how we handle relationships, the things that we just do consistently, uh, the tendencies that we have over time, the what we do eventually determines who we become. Now, if this was all that there was to it, if it was just that what we did determined who we became, then that would mean that if there was a different who that we wanted to become, then we could just change the what. But here's what we all know, is that there was a time in our lives when we didn't like the who that we were becoming because of the what that we were doing, and so we decided to change the what so that we wouldn't become the who that the what was causing us to become. And we realized, we realized that it wasn't just that simple to change the what. You know, there was a habit that we had established that we knew it was not helping us to become the who that we wanted to be. And so we decided to stop that habit, but we couldn't, we realized we couldn't just stop that habit. Or there was an attitude that we wanted to change, something that we wanted to adjust because we didn't like the who that it was turning us into. So we tried to stop doing that thing or having that attitude and we got rid of it for a while, but then we just kept finding it seeping its way back in, back in, back in, back in. And it was as if, Whatever that was in your life or whenever you've experienced how difficult it is to change the what, it's as if the what isn't quite the problem. It's like the what and fixing the what isn't quite getting to the core of the problem. It's as if there's something that precedes the what, that causes the what, that causes us ultimately to become the who. And what I want to suggest this morning is that the thing that precedes what, the thing that causes the what, is our perspective, that the way that we see the world, the way that we interpret situations, the lens through which we interpret reality is the thing that ultimately determines what we do and the who that we become. And we know this because we've all been cut off in traffic. And how do we respond? Immediate, what's, what's our immediate response when we're cut off in traffic? Yeah, right? Seriously? Seriously, like the, the elevated heart rate, the tense like clenching and like the sweat and like the screaming and the... Not the screaming for me, but maybe for some of you, the screaming, but that's like our immediate response because our immediate perception of the situation, the way that we immediately see it is this inconsiderate, dangerous person has just done something personal to me. You know, that's just the way that we immediately see it. Now, imagine that somehow, somehow, some way, you were able to rise above the situation, you were able to elevate up and you were able to see it more broadly and that you could see that this person who just cut you off or this, this person had just received a phone call in their office saying that their wife who was pregnant went into preterm labor and was having complications and was at the emergency room and there was nobody to watch the kids and the kids are there with her and that this guy is trying to get there desperately as fast as possible. Now, put yourself right back down into the exact same situation and this person that you know, you know what's going on in their lives that person cuts you off how do we respond then yeah right you might even pull over to get out of their way you might even pray for them you have empathy you have grace you know you, you make a space for that person 
completely different. Your whole emotional response changes, your physiology changes, your emotions change, your behaviors change, like everything changes. The exact same situation, what's the only thing that made it different? It's our perspective. That's the power of perspective. That's the power of perspective in our lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our jobs, in every aspect of life, every aspect of life, that's the power of perspective. Perspective has the power to change your physiology. It has the power to change your emotions. It has the power to change your attitudes. It has the power to change your behaviors. It has the power to change your values. And ultimately, ultimately, it has the power to change you. And that's why, When you read throughout the New Testament, the message that we get over and over and over again isn't that we're bad people that need to learn how to be good, but it's that we're people that have a misunderstanding that need to have a clearer understanding. We're we're people that have been deceived and we need truth. We're people who are in the dark who need light. We're people who have a faulty perception and need an elevated perspective. And that's why the Apostle Paul, when writing to the group of followers of Jesus in a town called Colossae, Paul, who was persecuting followers of Jesus, and then became one because he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And he was convinced that if Jesus could raise himself from the dead, then Jesus could raise him from the dead too. And it gave him this much higher, more full perspective of reality. It gave him this eternal perspective of reality that he knew was the key to the what that would ultimately produce the who that we were always meant to be. And here's what Paul wrote. He said, so set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Change your perspective. Get a better perspective because when you have the right perspective, you do the right what and you become the right who. And it all starts with perspective. And so what we're going to be doing through this series is is we're going to be looking at some of the tendencies, some of the proclivities and inclinations that we all have in our lives. We're not going to be like sectioning off like here are the things that you guys do bad and you need to fix and what you guys do bad and you need to fix, but it's just tendencies that, that all of us have at different times in our lives that will ultimately deprive us of the life that we were created to live and becoming the people that we were created to be. And all of these inclinations, they all come from perspective problems. And the tendency that we're going to be looking at this morning, the thing that we're going to dive into and really focus on this morning, is this tendency that all of us have, regardless of what your role or position is, regardless of what you reign over or who you serve under, whether you are uh, employed somewhere, you're working somewhere, or you are the employer and you own your own business, or you're a manager or a supervisor, whether you're a husband or a wife or a student, whatever your title is, role or position is, it is this tendency that we all have, to look at what we could, could be doing in support of that role, to look at the things that we could be doing and have this sense of what we should do, but instead, instead settle for good enough. Instead, we just kind of settle for good enough. And I think all of us are capable of this. All of us do this from time to time because our lives get busy. We get distracted. We take our eyes off the road and we take our foot off the accelerator. And in certain areas of life, sometimes we just coast. And sometimes it's completely appropriate because sometimes certain areas of our lives require undue attention, which means that other areas of our lives just need to get a little bit less for a period. So we just coast in those areas, but then we just never stop coasting and we just coast. And some of us, some of us might be coasting at work, 
Some of us might be coasting as employers. Some of us might be coasting in our marriages. Some of us might be coasting as parents. Some of us might be coasting as business owners or whatever it is. We have this tendency to coast. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced it's not because we're bad people. It's not because we're lazy people. It's not because we woke up one morning and decided I'm going to trade in excellence for mediocrity. It's because, it's because we have a perspective problem. And we tend to view these things from a perspective that asks, but how will excellence benefit me? You know, how will going beyond good enough, how will pursuing excellence actually benefit me? Because if you saw my job, if you saw my job and you saw how little my efforts were noticed and you saw how little, and if, if you saw like the, what a dead end job this was and you saw that this wasn't going to go anywhere, you would recognize like, well, how is excellence going to benefit me? Or if I knew like how little your spouse atten paid attention to what you did around the house and how much you did or how little you did and how much anybody cared, if I knew that how little it would benefit you, then what does it really matter to pursue excellence? Or, you know, what does it really matter if I, if I try to be a more intentional parent because my kids aren't really paying attention to any of my overtures right now anyway? It just doesn't seem like anybody cares. It doesn't seem like there's any reason to bother. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to produce anything. How will excellence benefit me. And the result is, the result is that coasting, coasting only takes us in one direction. Coasting never takes us uphill. Coasting is always downhill, right? Nobody ever coasts into having an excellent marriage. Nobody coasts into being an excellent parent. Nobody coasts into being excellent at their job. Nobody coasts to being an excellent student. Nobody ever coasts into excellence. And author Jim Collins, in his book about, in his book called Good to Great, about how good organizations become great organizations, says that the biggest enemy to greatness is that so many people are just willing to settle for good. I have a good marriage, so I pursue a great marriage. I have a good job. I'm a good parent. You know, I have good, 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 good. But the problem is, when we settle for good, we miss out on great. We miss out on a great marriage, becoming great parents, being great at our job. Ultimately, ultimately, we miss out on becoming the people that we were created to be and experience the life that we were created to experience. And the solution, the solution isn't just working harder. It's not a what solution. It's not just working harder and trying harder and being better. The solution is a perspective solution. And the Apostle Paul addresses this. In that same letter he wrote to the followers of Jesus in Colossae, he's writing to them about the power of perspective and the impact that perspective can have in various areas of our lives. And in a certain portion of the letter, he starts addressing slaves. Now, Paul wasn't condoning slavery. In fact, in other letters, he says that if slaves can gain their freedom, they should seek their freedom, but he recognizes like this is where they are right now. How does the eternal perspective help them for where they are right now? And the instruction that Paul gives them, the instruction that he gives them was as shocking to them then as it will be to us today. But the principle, the principle is applicable to us today as it was to them then. And here's what Paul said. He said, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Obey them in everything. And do it not only when they're watching, not only when their eyes are on you, not only to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. To which the slaves respond, so you want me to obey my master, not to win their favor and not because they're watching? What other reason do I have to obey them? I don't have anything else going for me. They have the power to beat me, to kill me, 
and bury me in a shallow grave. And nobody's ever going to come knocking on the door wondering where I am. What other reason do I have to work for them than to win their favor? And Paul says, well, hold on, <laughs> because that's not all. And Paul says, whatever you do. And they're like, whatever we do, Paul says, yeah, whatever you do. You mean the whatever we do that, the, the, that, that's going to be seen, that's going to be noticed? Paul's like, no, 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 whatever you do. You mean whatever I do that somebody told me to do and they told me if I don't do it, they're going to come and check on it? No, whatever you do. You mean whatever? Because there are a lot of whatevers. As a slave, there are a lot of whatevers. Like whatever is like cooking and it's cleaning and it's scrubbing and it's polishing and it's doing things that nobody ever sees and nobody ever notices. And it's plowing and it's planting and it's reaping and it's building and it's taking apart and it's doing and it's undoing. It's things that nobody ever notices. Like what whatevers are you talking about? Paul's like, whatever, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, to which they would think, why would I ever work at whatever with all my heart? Do you know how many things I do that nobody ever notices, that nobody pays any attention to, that nobody cares about? Do you realize that I'm not getting a raise? I don't have shares in the company stock. There's not a bonus waiting for me at the end of the year. Like there is no reason to do anything that I'm not going to get repaid for. Because how does this level of excellence benefit me? Why would I work at whatever with all of my heart? Paul says, here's why. Because you're working for the Lord not for men. I want you to work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Paul's saying, you've been reassigned. You've been reassigned and you are now a direct report to your heavenly father. Your heavenly father who sees everything that you do, the most inconsequential, insignificant things that nobody else cares about, your heavenly father sees them. Your heavenly father who loves you unconditionally, who cares about you, who appreciates your best, who celebrates your best, who loves when you do things with excellence. You've been reassigned and you're a direct report to your heavenly father. Remember when you were a kid and there was that thing that you figured out how to do and you thought it was so novel that you could do that thing and you thought nobody had ever thought of to do that thing before and if they did they couldn't do that thing like you could do that thing and maybe it was just like jumping up and turning around in the air and landing without falling on the ground and you thought it was so great that you knew how to do that and you needed mom and dad to watch like every single time you did it you needed them to watch because every single time you're going to make it better and you wanted to watch them again because you're going to do it better and watch me again because I can do it better watch me now are you what you're not you're talking you're on your phone you're not watching you know, you needed them to watch you. And then you grew up. But that thing inside of you, that voice inside of you never went away, did it. That thing, that, that need to have somebody see you give your best, that need for someone to appreciate it, to care about it when nobody else notices, that never went away, did it? Because maybe, maybe 
you were created by a God who intended for you to work in his presence always. It's the picture that we have in the garden of Adam. And the first thing that God gave Adam was a job. And God said, work at it. I'm so proud of you when you do. Do great. Be excellent. Because it pleases me. I love it. Let's do this together. We were made for that. That's why we find this thing in our heart that just... It just lacks, there's this absence when we don't have this sense of someone paying attention and caring about the things that we do. We were meant for that. We're meant to be at work for a heavenly father who sees the smallest things that nobody else sees, who sees the purity of your motives when nobody else does and loves it and celebrates it and is proud of you. We were made for that. Paul says, not only... Are you being reassigned and reporting to your heavenly father, but we're adjusting your benefits package as well. And he says, since you know, you're working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. You're going to receive an inheritance from God as a reward for doing your best. And this wasn't a blow a dandelion, cross your fingers and wish on a star and hope that maybe somehow someday you end up in heaven and maybe somebody will pay you back for the things that you did here. No, this was based on so much more than that. Paul was saying, this isn't something that I heard or something that somebody told me about. This is something that I saw with my own two eyeballs. When I was persecuting the church and I was dismantling the Christian movement, the resurrected Jesus appeared to me and I am convinced that if he could raise himself from the dead, he could raise me from the dead too. And Paul lived the rest of his life convinced, convinced that he had an eternal reward that was gonna be based on how faithful he was to God with what God had entrusted to him. That God fully intended to give him eternal position and power and authority and ability and privilege based on how faithful Paul was with what God entrusted to him. And Paul would have said, don't just listen to my talk, but watch my walk, because he lived it out. When nobody paid attention to what he was doing, when nobody cared about what he was doing, he faced persecution, he faced imprisonment, he faced the threat of death over and over and over again because he was convinced that he was at work for his heavenly father who was gonna reward with him with an inheritance. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter what your role or your position is. Whatever you are at now, whatever you are doing, whatever your role or position is, that is what God has entrusted to you for this time right now. And the question isn't, how high can you climb the corporate ladder? The question isn't, what title can you rise to. The question isn't like what kind of salary. The question is with what God has entrusted to you right now. Are you being faithful with that? It doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a CEO. It doesn't matter if you're flying jet airplanes or scrubbing toilets. God wants to know, here's what I've given you right now. Are you going to be faithful with that? Are you going to do it to your best? Not how are you gonna do it in comparison to this person or how are you gonna do it in comparison to that person? Not are you gonna be able to rise up to this objective level of excellence, but are you gonna do your best with the energy that God's given you, with the time that he's given you, with the abilities and the talents and the skills that he's given you? Are you gonna do your best with what he's, with what he's entrusted to you? And this is the perspective that changes everything. 
is that when we realize that whatever our role is, whatever our position is, whatever our position in the family is, at work is, you know, wherever we are, whether you're at work, you're an employee, you're an employer, you're a business owner, you're staying at home taking care of kids, or you're a husband or a spouse, your father, mother, whatever, whatever you do, whatever you do, you're doing it for God who loves you and celebrates your best and wants to give you eternal position and privilege and abilities based on, are you willing to be faithful with what I've given you? And when that's our perspective, when that's our perspective, we don't ask, how does excellence benefit me? When that's our perspective, we ask, what does excellence require of me? What does excellence require of me? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote this, the reason, the reason that we find this in the New Testament isn't because God's like this hard-nosed, you know, God that just wants to make sure like everybody's working hard because the harder you work, the better person you are. You know, that was like a cultural thing for a while that like the, the, the harder somebody worked, the more, respect, the more respect they should deserve because working hard is like the key goal of life and somebody who works hard deserves more respect because they're a better person. And it led a lot of people for a long time to put their jobs and people still to put their jobs above their family, to put jobs above everything else in their lives. And that's not who God is. That's not what God's looking for. It's not like work because work's important and work because works great but God God designed us God designed us to experience excellence God designed us to function at a level of excellence your excellence my excellence whatever it looks like for you and God designed excellence to satisfy our hearts so when we function whatever our roles or positions are with excellence it's pleasing to us it satisfies this thing inside of us that is according to our design I'm telling you, if you adopt this perspective, if in all of your roles and positions and abilities and in wherever you find yourself, whatever you do, if you ask, what does excellence require of me? And as you find your attitude shifting back to the old attitude, and you start wondering, why does this really matter? Because who really notices? And you start thinking, you know, why should I do this? Because who's going to care? Or you think about, isn't good enough that you would address that by saying, no, 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 no. I have a heavenly father who sees this, who appreciates this, and wants to reward me in eternity based on this. You would say, well, what does excellence require of me? It will change your whole experience of life. And I'm not saying that because somebody told me that or I read it somewhere, but I'm saying that because I've experienced it. I know this. I've gone through this painfully at times and learning the lesson the hard way at times. I've experienced this, that, that if you will ask that question, what, is, what does excellence require of me? It will elevate your relationship with God. It will. 10 years ago, before I was working here on staff, I was working at a company that did analysis for the Department of Defense. My role was to take teams of people and lead them through months of analysis and come up with a solution, and then I would go present that to our clients, who are often admirals and generals at the Pentagon, and recommend to them how they should spend millions and millions of dollars. And I did that until it all came to a halt because of two things that we found out. One, that my wife had gotten an internship that would take us from Washington, D.C. to California in order for her to complete her program and degree requirements. The other thing that we found out was that she was pregnant with our first child, which meant 
that we were not only moving across the country, but we were now going to have a child to raise on top of it. And so we mutually decided that in order for my wife to complete her internship, that I would become the stay-at-home dad. So I went from wearing cufflinks and power ties to wearing vomit and yoga pants. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't wear yoga pants. But those of you who are stay-at-home people, you are amazing people. And you will understand this. Those days when you give your heart and soul to your responsibilities, when you give everything to it, and you change diapers, and you scrub out clothes because there were blowouts, and you make meals and clean up from meals, and you put away and put away and put away, and you clean laundry, and you fold laundry, and you put away laundry, and you sweep, and you mop, and you walk the dogs, and you do it all, and you do it with precision, and you feel like you've done it well because you've poured yourself into it, and you get to the end of your day where you're cooking dinner, and your spouse, your well-meaning loving spouse, and I can say this because I've done it a million times since, but your well-meaning, loving spouse walks through the door at the end of the day and doesn't notice the laundry that's been folded and put away, doesn't notice the floors that have been swept, doesn't notice the counters that have been wiped down, notices the one thing, the one thing that didn't get put away. And your loving, well-meaning spouse, the first thing, they don't mean anything by it, but the first thing they say, oh, is that where that goes now? And that voice inside of you that just wants to scream, do you know how important I am? Do you know how much people are willing to pay me to make really, really important decisions and how far below me this is? Do you know like how much time I've given today to dressing this child and cleaning this child and redressing this child and doing it? But you catch yourself and you just smile and spit into their food. And no. <laughs> you don't do that. And I didn't wear yoga pants. But here's what I learned over that year. Here's what I learned. I learned how to experience the, pressure, the, the, the presence and pleasure of God and tasks that at the, at, the, at the start of it seemed beneath me, seemed degrading, seemed humiliating, seemed unimportant, seemed unnoticed, seemed completely inconsequential. And in those tasks, by recognizing this perspective, that I have a heavenly father who sees me complete every single one of them, the ones that nobody else notices, the ones that nobody else cares about them. He sees my best and he loves it. He appreciates it. It pleases him. And through that year, it was this constant sense of the pleasure of God in my presence. And those tasks that originally seemed so degrading and so meaningless became worship. And I'm not lying, I look back on that period of time, I look back on that year as one of the years of my life where I just felt so close to God because it was that continual, constant sense of his presence and his pleasure. And could it be, could it be that the biggest barrier between you and your relationship with your heavenly father is the perspective that you have of where he's assigned you right now? 
And the answer, the solution, is recognizing this is what he's entrusted to you. And wherever that is, if you're a student working part-time and going to school part-time and you're, or you're a business owner, whatever that is, if you would look at that and say, no, 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 this is from my heavenly father and this, this was meant to be my act of worship. It changes everything. Not only does it elevate your relationship with God, but it elevates your personal transformation. That when you take this perspective, it elevates your, your own personal transformation. One of the times when I had the, the, what felt like the most clear direction from God, so clear that it might as well have been audible. It was just like really, really clear. I knew exactly what God was wanting me to do in this moment. It was this time where I was working at a job that I didn't really like. It just didn't feel like me. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And on top of it, I was commuting four hours a day in order to do it. And it was around that time I sensed God's nudge for me to prepare for going into ministry. And I was ready. I was ready for ministry mentally anyway, because I didn't like my job and I was willing to do anything but that. And so all I needed, all I needed was God to give me some kind of direction for like, this is where I want you to go. And I, I knew that whatever that direction was, I'd be willing to drop everything and go do it. And so every morning I would pray on my way into work, so I had two hours each way. I would pray, you know, just give me some kind of direction, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do anything. I will drop everything. I will sell everything to do what you want me to do. And I would pray and I'd pray. And I remember this one day, this one day, I was praying that. And I got this really clear sense from God, the spirit of God nudging me to stay right where I was and work really, really, really hard. And I knew that couldn't be God. No. God wants me to do ministry, <laughs> not have a regular job. So I kept praying and kept coming back to this thing. No, no, no. I want you to stay right where you are and work really, really, really hard. So I trusted God. I trusted God with that. And I stayed right where I was and I worked really, really, really hard. And here's what I found out. I found out that the harder I worked, the better I got at it. And the better I got at my job, the more I enjoyed it. Because guess what? We're created for excellence, wherever we are, whatever our role or responsibility is, we're created for excellence and we enjoy it when we're, when we're exercising it. I also learned a number of other things that I'm convinced God kept me there to learn these things to prepare me for what he had for me next. God wanted me to learn patience with his plans. He wanted me to learn how to grit something out that I might not like that much, how to do a job that I might not care that much about, but exhibit excellence in it. There were skills that I learned through that job that have been critical for the ministry that I do now. And if I'd walked away from it, I would have missed out on all of it, all of it. And listen, is it possible? Is it possible that where God has you right now, it is in that place when you give your very best that he's gonna develop in you the things that are gonna be required for where he wants to take you next. And he's waiting for you to put your nose to the grindstone and work hard where you are now because there are things that cannot develop in you any other way. And once they do, then he's gonna move you on to the thing that he has for you next. Personal transformation. And not just a better relationship with God, not just elevated personal transformation, but, but having this perspective elevates your impact 
on others. There was, this, there was this season in our family. It continues now to some degree, but there was this season when it was really bad. The season of bedtime routines after dinner being absolutely horrendous. Where the kids after dinner would go and they'd have 30 minutes, a nice, broad, generous window to accomplish picking up your room and putting on your pajamas. <laughs> Piece of cake. If anybody cared, they could do it in five minutes. But there's a season of time where I'd send my two of my boys to their room to get this done, and they would just wrestle like wild animals for like the whole 30 minutes. And I would go to their room and be like, you know, you only have 30 minutes. Yeah, we know. They'd wrestle and I'd come back. You know, you only have 15 minutes. Yeah, we know. I'd come back. You know, you have five minutes and you haven't done anything. In fact, you've made it worse than when you started. What are you? And night after night after night after night, this happened. And they got consequences for it. And the consequences weren't changing their behavior. And it was driving me nuts because it happened every single night. And so every single night, we'd be at the five minutes left mark. And I would go to their room and just lose it. Be like, what are you doing? You had 25 minutes and you're still wrestling. What's wrong? What? It was not a good season of parenting for me. And one of those nights, I will never forget this. One of those nights, I was just at the five-minute mark and losing it, just blowing my lid a little bit, and just letting the boys know, like, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know why you can't do this simple thing. And then in desperation, I asked them, what is it that you need from me to do what I'm asking you to do? And in the midst of this, my six-year-old pauses and he looks at me. And I will never forget this. Calmly, he says, Dad, we just need you to encourage us. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Dagger to the heart. Right? Because he was absolutely right. He needed a dad who would be at his best, who could encourage him, encourage him, help him to believe in himself, help him to believe that he could do these things that he wasn't otherwise doing. He was so right. He essentially called me out and said, dad, you're coasting, you're coasting. I need you to not just be a good enough dad. I need you to be an excellent dad. And he was right. He was right, and I wonder if all of us took the time to look around at the people in our lives and just start asking the question, you know, what, what are these people that God has placed in my life? What do they need from me? What do my coworkers need from me? What do my employees need from me? What do my kids need from me? What does my spouse need from me? They need you to be at your best. Not as good as so-and-so, not as good as that person, but your best, your best. They need it from you. People, people thrive on your excellence. Don't deprive the world, don't deprive the people that God's placed in your life from your best. They need it. They desperately need it. So here's my hope. My hope is that all of us, whatever our roles, whatever our positions are, we'd start adopting this perspective, that we'd stop asking, what is excellence gonna benefit me? But start asking, what does excellence require 
of me. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it will change your relationship with God. It will change your own personal transformation and it will impact the people around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who pays so much attention to us. We're not under scrutiny. You're not judging us, but you're looking at us and you're cheering us on. You know the life that you created us for, the life we were meant to experience. You know the people that you created us to be. And you so want for us to experience that. You see our best and it matters to you. You celebrate it. You care so much about it. And so Father, I pray for your spirit to be at work in all of us all of us, that would, we would see our lives, our roles, our responsibilities from your perspective, that we would see how much it matters to you and how much you want to bless us with in eternity for being faithful with what you've entrusted to us right now. We praise you and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.